everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 136 of the John Riley Project. This is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And boy, we're going to talk a lot today about George Floyd and police brutality and our inalienable rights. And boy, I got a lot in store for you today. Um, if you're watching on YouTube or maybe you're listening on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate your support. Um, if you could subscribe, that would be really helpful. Share the episode with a friend. You know, we're trying to build our audience and your support is really appreciated. Um, really want to start off this podcast with an important line from our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We're going to break down that phrase as we get into this podcast, but I think we can all agree that what we're seeing right now is not equality. We're seeing inequality, particularly before the law, particularly before certain members of our police force. And we're going to, we're going to get into this and, and see the, the killing the murder of George Floyd happened earlier this week. And so much has happened since then. And originally I wanted to come out and speak about it. And I had something to say. And I was kind of waiting a little bit because my it was kind of distilling my thoughts, organizing my thoughts. Um, but things just kept unfolding so quickly. And then I'll admit that, you know, there was a little bird in my mind chirping at me saying, you know, maybe, hey, Riley, maybe you shouldn't say anything because if you do, you're going to get attacked. People are going to come down on you. You know, after all, you're a white guy. Your people would say I'm privileged. People would say that I don't understand what black people are going through and how they're being oppressed. And I don't understand the struggle. But you know what? Damn it. I have a podcast. I have a platform. I need to speak out about this sort of thing. And, you know, if it's one thing I've learned is, is that it's important for not just the people that are directly affected by um, racism or police brutality. It's important for people that have not been directly affected by that or, or, or currently not the ones having their rights oppressed. We all have to speak out about it. White people um, of all need to be the ones that speak out about this. I, mean, I learned a lot of this just by my conversation here earlier with Matthew B. Mitchell. He was a um, uh, podcast guest here locally um, on, on, my, on my podcast, like must have been about a year ago. And wow, we talked about diversity and inclusion. And man, I learned a great deal. I thought he, he did a terrific job. And by the way, uh, Matthew Mitchell has his own podcast now, and he's just speaking out on a lot of these issues. Um, kind of an inspiration for me to speak out on some of these issues from my own perspective. So you know, hashtag be braver. I've talked about that before. So I'm going to be brave. I'm going to share my thoughts on this. I want, I think the main point I want to, I want to get across is I think we need to have a reawakening um, of what America is really all about. I mean, I think we need to capture or recapture um, some of the primary philosophy, the ideas of what America really represents, because we're seeing a lot of conflict in those ideas. You know, this whole notion of all men are created equal. I mean, it sounds great in the Declaration of Independence, but clearly that is not what's happening on the ground in real life. Um, some people believe it. Some people don't. And we we are not coming together as a people. In fact, we are being divided um, and we have consist consistently been divided by our political leadership. I'm going to get into that in a bit. Um, but let's first talk about, you know, the killing of George Floyd was immoral, vile, racist, police brutality. I mean, I it was immoral. I can come up with a thousand words to describe it, and I probably still won't give it the weight and the um, uh, the importance that it deserves. What happened? I think I think almost everybody I think can condemn this act. I would imagine those that don't, I'd be surprised. Um, but it was clearly um, it was murder. It was flat out murder. What happened to George Floyd? Um, and. It's inexcusable, and we cannot let this go um, unchallenged. Now, people 
are rightfully upset. They're frustrated. And that's why we're seeing these protests and people coming out on the streets and some people snapping. I, I get it. It's just it's pent up frustration. But it just doesn't it feel like Groundhog Day, man? It, it seems like we just had this you know, with Michael Brown and Ferguson and we had Eric Garner in New York City that was murdered by the police just for selling cigarettes on a street corner. And, and he had his life taken from him. That was the first I can't breathe. Now, George Floyd, I can't breathe because the police were literally snuffing the life out of these people for really in a highly disproportionate way for you know so-called crimes that should have been treated so much more lightly. And you could even argue that some of these should have been crimes in the first place. Um, but it's it's still we, we're we're reliving this, and I and I I'm sad to say this, but I think it's going to continue to happen. It's going to continue to happen until we come together with this sort of a reawakening of what this nation is really all about, and having leadership that can take us there. Now, in the in the immediate aftermath of the protests that were in Minneapolis. There are all kinds, as you can imagine, on Facebook, all kinds of chatter. And I'm trying to be careful and selective because I don't want to be disrespectful. You know, I want to be supportive. But there was some people that were sort of shrugging their shoulder at all of the the property damage, the looting and the fires and everything else. And I thought to myself, um, you know, that that's still that's that still isn't right either. And I kind of got a little bit caught up on that in social media, and I, I want, I'm purposely in this podcast trying to reel back from that. The, the property crimes, the fires, the looting, all of that is, is obviously immoral, wrong, evil, et cetera. But I don't want to focus on that because it just distracts from the primary message, the primary message that we have people that are being killed by their own government, people that are being um, on the receiving end of police brutality, the people on the receiving end of racism, that that's where the focus needs to be, at least for right now. We'll eventually get to those other things in a future podcast. Um, but, you know, it's amazing what has happened. I mean, there's been so much reaction um, in the in across America, not just in Minneapolis. There's been protests in most major cities in the United States. In fact, here in San Diego County, there was a big protest at the city of La Mesa uh, just yesterday because in La Mesa, they also had a similar incident. This was in the news where a young African-American ma- male, I, I saw him on TV, he's probably like maybe 20 years old. Um, and he was just hanging out at a, a trolley station waiting for some friends. The police approached him, harassed him, shoved him down. Um, he was talking back, trying to defend himself. But the police, three of them ganged up on this guy, handcuffed him, took him away in a police car. And it was still never made clear what the problem was. It just seemed that he was a black kid. And he was getting attacked by the police. And so you can imagine protesters uh, yesterday showed up at the city of La Mesa Police Department. You know, La Mesa is a suburb of San Diego County. It's just east of the the city limits, very close to San Diego State University. Um, There were people out there protesting. The police were in riot gear. Tear gas was, was tossed about. And then... Last night I went to sleep and I woke up this morning and I saw that protesters had um, lit two banks on fire. I mean, it got bad. Um, now, here in Poway, in my community, there there were protests and people here all uh, peaceful, which is great. And there were protests yesterday and I apparently there are protests again today, which is great. I love seeing people standing up, fighting truth to power. Um, we need more of that. Um, but how do we solve this problem? Um, some people say we need more training of police officers. And I'm thinking, yeah, but, you know, we already have police academies. Police go through training. Just for grins, I looked it up. The city of San Jose, just to pick a police department at random, they go through 26 weeks of training. And nearly all of it is in actual training. Um, They learn about everything that needs to take place to be a police officer. My hunch is, is that they're probably taught about these issues of race, um, racial issues, um, about treating people equally under the law, 
um, not putting yourself in a position um, where you are discriminating or going after certain races um, disproportionately. I would assume that that's being taught in these classes, but I don't know for sure. But even if it is being taught, that message clearly is not getting through to some people because we still have cops that do these terrible things. Um, you know, I have a couple of friends that are police officers. Um, one who's, uh, you know, I'd, I'd call him a good friend. And um, he lives up in Northern California and he's a police officer. And he has shared some amazing stories of what he's gone through and the things that he's witnessed. Um, and, you know, you can imagine police officers see the underbelly of society. Um, but he's in it, no doubt, for all the good, all the right reasons, um, for law and order, for being a, an important part of his community. And I, I love the guy to death. I think he's, he's a man of high character. But clearly, not everyone in the police force is like him. There are some good actors and some bad actors. Um, but I remember, gosh, this was probably almost 30 years ago, my goodness, um, playing music in a band, I playing, you know, playing in cover bands. It was always kind of my hobby there for a good part of my adult life. And one of my bandmates was a CHP officer and we had gotten a gig to play at a, at a backyard party up in La Habra, up in, in Los Angeles. And I remember he made a big point about how he was bringing a gun to that gig. And I looked at him and I was like, what do you mean you're bringing a gun? He goes, oh man, we're going up to LA. You don't know what's going to happen up there. Anything could happen. We got to be prepared. We got to be able to prepare to protect ourselves. And it was incredible because not in a million years would I have thought that, but he's a cop, you know, he, he, CHP, he, he had seen a lot of this and a lot of police officers do have a, a great deal of fear. Um, because they're, they they often walk into because that's their job is they walk into cases where the other person has a gun the other person is being violent and they've got to calm that situation so is the mentality of certain police officers and how they handle that very interesting um, so it's but it's clear that there are you know good cops there are bad cops and um, there's no doubt that this cop that killed. Um, George Floyd was definitely one of the bad ones, no doubt about it. Um, but it's interesting how you look at how society treats the police, particularly our friends on the right, the conservatives, Republicans. Think of the police in a very high regard um, as a very important part of society. And, you know, this whole Blue Lives Matter and um, you see tremendous support for, for police officers. And President Trump knows this. He plays that up all the time. Um, but it is – I always find it remarkable that when a police officer is killed in the line of duty – and obviously that's a t tragic event, terrible thing. Um, but there will be – the funeral parade will be tremendous. It was almost like a religious leader had died. Um, it, it's, it's amazing to what level that's exalted. And it's not just exalted by – regular people, but the whole culture and institution of the police department and of the government also lifts up the police force to that level. And so I I was always just amazed by that every time I saw um, a funeral. And no disrespect, obviously, to the person that passed, but it was just always amazing to how high they were lifted. Um, but it's interesting because on the other hand, there are blacks that are fearful of the police that not in a million years would lift up police officers to an exalted position. I mean, they're more likely to get busted. Blacks are more likely to get pulled over and harassed. Blacks are more likely to go to jail on drug crimes. I mean, we see that now. You look at the prison system, the incarceration state, so disproportionately skewed to blacks and people of color. Yet they don't necessarily commit drug-related crimes on, um, uh, disproportionately, yet they're thrown in jail for drug-related crimes at a highly disproportional rate. So a lot of blacks know that the police officers are often not their friend. They're someone to be feared. So again, this, it's, a, it's amazing the difference in how different groups of people perceive 
the police. Now, this whole idea of, of blacks getting pulled over, I want to share a story that uh, I experienced. And let me just say, I'm not saying this is the same as what blacks have gone through being pulled over p- by the police, but I had an interesting situation happen to me. So I was, um, gosh, I was in high school and I had a I had a van and it was a 1960 Ford panel truck. It's like this kind of van that people would deliver bread or pies to bakeries. It was like this old fashioned truck. And man, this, this, this was not a good looking car. Um, it was white, but it was rusted and had primer paint. And, and it was a project I was working on through high school. And I did a lot of great things with that car. Um, but anyways, I was out with some friends and it was on Halloween and, you know, Halloween, you know, teenagers are out and about and, you know, there's a little bit of riffraff going on. But for the most part, most teenagers are, are you know, just enjoying kind of the, the liberty of being out on that night. And we were over at a friend's place and then we were driving over to another place um, in my town. And I remember getting pulled over by the police. And the cop approached me from the door and he goes, get out of the car and get your friends out of the car right now. And we're like, whoa, you know, what's going on? And they they sat us over by the sidewalk and said, put your hands behind your back and shut up. And then they opened up my car and they have flashlights. They're looking around. And man, they were really, really aggressive with us. They were um, obviously looking for something. And I didn't know what to think. I mean, I was kind of dumbfounded by all this. I didn't know if I was going to jail. I didn't know what was going on. Now, I didn't have the history of a lot of black people. I'm sure if I were black, I would have been really scared because I would have known the history of what happens to black people when this sort of thing happens. Um, but I was largely naive, but I knew I was, I was not good what was happening. And then finally, after they had done a search of my car and they concluded there was nothing to be found, you know, tensions relaxed. And one of the police officers told me, they said, well, the reason we did this is because we got a report that there was another white van um, in town and they had kids in, in that had masks and baseball bats and they were jumping out of the van and harassing little kids that were trick-or-treating. And we were getting calls from some uh, parents that were really upset by this. And I thought, okay, you know, first of all, stupid idiots um, doing this. But then I'm thinking to myself, well, she's that wasn't us. Yet we were being treated as though we were guilty until proven innocent. And I, you know, was just blown away by it. Now I filed that in the back of my mind. And then later on, as I learned more about this injustice that blacks are going through, I realized that, man, what they were going through was far worse. And the police officers there weren't looking for baseball bats. They were probably looking for any piece of evidence that they could use to prosecute those individuals. And it's just wrong. But it was something that I experienced in my own way and really made me think about trying to understand the plight that these black kids are going through. And it's it's something. I mean, it you know, talk about like police and culture. I mean, think of this whole notion of rule of law. Rule of law, obviously very important. In a, in a society, you need laws. You need laws that if someone harms another, if they murder or, or you know, assault or rape, I mean, you need a rule of law to hold people accountable. You need a justice system to ensure that people are held accountable before the law and are punished appropriately. But a lot of times you hear politicians, particularly from our friends on the right, um, conservatives, where they'll use this term rule of law almost like code language. Um, like, you know, people say it's like a dog whistle because to them it means not just enforcing the law, but it's also sort of cleaning up those degenerate people, cleaning up those those hippies, those black people, um, those Uh, people that are not like us. And I didn't get that at first when I first heard this idea of rule of law because I just took it at face value. But the more I've learned, the more I get it. And that's true. Um, So it's interesting how people um, have these bigoted racist opinions and then they've been able to shift culture and elect political leaders that use the police as a tool to enact those, you know, those really bad ideas 
of going after certain segments of the population. Um, it's shameful, and but it exists, and it's a huge part of the police and how police are integrated into culture. But I always often think, too, that our friends on the right who tend to be Christian, who tend to be religious, Christianity typically is about forgiveness. It's about turning the other cheek. It's about love thy neighbor. But instead, I think there's a lot more a lot more Old Testament rather than New Testament when these folks are looking for the police to enforce law. In some cases, it's more eye for an eye. You know, it's that kind of really aggressive police force that some people want. Um, it's, it's something, you know, it just kind of makes you wonder what the role of police really should be. You know, is it is it to be aggressive and go after people or is it to be to simply protect and serve? Or is it just simply to secure our rights? And in fact, that's the role of government that was established when the Declaration of Independence was written, that the government exists to secure rights, not to violate them. And that's what we're seeing when George Floyd dies underneath the knee of a police officer. Now, you wonder why are these police uh, officers so empowered? And I'm of the belief that we've got too many laws. There are too many laws that exist in society. I mean, we can just be going about our regular business. We're probably violating laws we didn't even know existed. But the war on drugs specifically is a huge problem and a big part of this situation because the war on drugs is a wholly immoral, racist vile set of policies that are being sold as one thing, but really do another. Um, the war on drugs was started, I think, during the Nixon administration, and it was really a way to control hippies, control blacks, to um, to contain them, and and in some cases to put them in jail. So that so the so-called moral majority, the silent majority can retain power without all the disruption from these um, groups of people that they didn't like. And the, the war on drugs, of course, amplified further in the Reagan administration. But I am a strongly in opposition to the war on drugs. And people say to me, oh, yeah, well, you just want people to be able to smoke pot and be stoned. And I'm like, no, that's not the reason. So the war on drugs has greatly empowered police officers to go after innocent people and harass them and ask them questions. What are you doing here? You know, what's going on? And wanting to search cars, wanting to search people, wanting to pull over people that are being completely innocent, you know, especially if they're black. Um, it, it's, it's what empowers the police officer to harass that young 20-something um, young black man in La Mesa. It's because it empowers the police to be a lot more aggressive. It also, by the way, um, has created this huge incarceration state. We have so many people in, in prison largely because of the war on drugs, largely because they are they are singled out in many cases. I mean, you look at the demographics of people that are in, in prison, it's disproportionately skewed to people of color. And that's because the police choose to enforce um, the law, the rule of law, more disproportionately with them. I mean, a lot of them are in there for drug crimes, but yet, you know, drug use is, you know, roughly similar across Blacks versus whites, but yet the blacks are the ones that are largely in jail as a result of it. So the war on drugs to me is an awful policy. And I think it's part of what has empowered the police to be so aggressive. And you, know, you look at someone like Eric, Eric Garner, who was was um, killed just selling cigarettes on a street corner. I mean, he was violating the law. It's a stupid law, by the way. Um, it's a law that should never have existed. Um, but it, it's that mentality that has led the police to be so much more aggressive. And then that keeps, you know, we see higher and higher levels of that to the point now where the police are largely militarized in a lot of communities. So it's, it's just really shameful. And I think a lot of this aggressive nature of the police really goes back to that war on drugs. Now, 
and that speaks broadly to the criminal justice system and the reforms that are necessary. And you hear people call that out and absolutely right. I mean, there needs to be a revolution in the way we handle criminal justice because right now it's criminal injustice that we're seeing. Um, laws that are in place that actually violate the laws themselves violate our liberties to live our life the way we like. Um, but instead, people that are peaceful, that are doing things that should not be against the law in the first place are being thrown in jail. But really, a lot of that is just the law. Um, I want to talk at a higher level here for a moment. And we can talk about you know changing laws. We could talk about maybe trying to change the culture of the police but that's just not enough. I mean, we have to get to a point where we share a common philosophy. And that's why I said a reawakening of what America really is all about. Um, we have to change the way people think, change the way what people think of as moral versus immoral. It's, it's those ideas, those big ideas that have to be adjusted. And I go back to the... Um, the Declaration of Independence. And, and, and I talk about this all the time. This podcast is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think our founders largely got it right. They got the ideas right. Um, we've horribly failed on the implementation of those ideas in many categories. But take a look at that first line, the one I opened up the podcast with. Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Well, what does that mean? Um, are we all equal? Of course not. <laughs> Are we all born equal? No, obviously not. I mean, we all have different races, different religions. We come up, we're brought up in different cultures. Some people are born poor. Some are born rich. Some are born with great physical talents. Some are born with disabilities. Some people are born with um, talents um, in, in the world of art or in the, or talents um in in um, uh, in all kinds of other categories of life, some people are smarter than others. I mean, we are very unequal on that level. So when it's when the, our founders said all men are created equal, what did they mean? Well, first of all, they didn't mean just men, just males. I mean, the term men at the time was really humans. It, it was a term that also applied to women, although you wish they would have said it specifically, but they didn't. Um, but what they really meant is, is that we're all equal in the eyes of God. And if you want to take that down to a secular level, maybe you don't believe in God, what that also means is, is that we should all be equal before the law, be equal before those that judge us, that we are not discriminated against based on who we are, you know, based on what color my eyes are or what color my hair is or what color my skin is, that we're all equal before the law. That is absolutely the right idea that we should have equality under the law. Um, but we don't have that. It's clear that there are certain races that are being discriminated against. I mean, heck, President Trump, when he was running for office, remember he got up on the stage and he said, um, I, Donald J. Trump, hereby declare we will have a permanent ban on, the, uh, on Muslim immigrants into the United States until we can figure out what the hell is going on. <laughs> well, that is precisely inequality under the law. So we have leaders in this nation that fan those flames, that violate the principles of what America is founded upon. Um, but in this case, President Trump wanted to discriminate on the basis of religion. It's just mind boggling. Now, thankfully, the courts called him out on that, but he's indirectly gotten his way because now we don't have immigrants that can come from certain nations, um, which was sort of a backdoor way of getting that same thing accomplished. Um, but the idea of all men are created equal is the right idea, but we fail to live to that. Now we're making progress in some areas. I mean, obviously in 1776, women didn't have the same rights as men. If you're being cynical, maybe you might think that the founders really did mean 
that all men are created equal, but not all women. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the um, the founders on that because the term men is interchangeable. You know, it means all humans. Um, but eventually women got the right to vote. Um, eventually women got greater rights over their reproductive um, um, their over their body, essentially. And we're seeing more progress with blacks, obviously did not have the rights. And ironically, Thomas Jefferson had slaves. And we know some of our founders had slaves. We know there are contradictions and hypocrisies, but still the idea is right. Um, you know, let's go to the next part of it. We hold these truths to be um, self-evident that we have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So inalienable means they cannot be taken away. Um, but what this also means is, is that these are rights that apply to each of us as individuals. I have these rights. You have these rights. George Floyd has those rights. And Eric Garner has those rights. And Michael Brown has those rights. Every man, woman, and child has those rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So th- it doesn't mean that whites have rights and blacks have rights and gays have rights. It means we all have the same rights. We all have individual rights to manage our own life, to make decisions and have the the liberty to choose how to manage our own life and to ultimately live our life according to our own values, to pursue our own happiness as long as we don't violate the rights of others. That's what that means. It's the right idea. Our government is tasked, and it says so in the Declaration of Independence, to secure those rights. But what happens is, is the government does the opposite. They violate those rights. They put a knee on the neck of George Floyd and kill him. It's just amazing. It's because I think people don't think certain rights apply to certain people. People treat different groups of people differently. You know, some people think that certain races are lower life forms and need to be treated as beasts rather than as dignified humans. Now, we've come a long way. We still have a long way to go. Um, And so you see these cases like George Floyd and Eric Garner, and you, you realize that we don't have inequality under the law. We don't have equal rights. And it's the government who's supposed to secure those rights that actually be is the entity that largely violates them. And again, that culture influences it. Culture, in um, people have these misguided ideas, these old-fashioned ideas, ideas that really should have been crushed at the end of the Civil War, that different races need to be treated differently. Um, you know, back then they talked about states' rights. And you still hear about that. And oftentimes states' rights is sort of another dog whistle, a code word for um, having the right to discriminate. Um, but states' rights, well, first of all, states don't have rights. People have rights. But what that means is state rights, what it's supposed to mean is that the federal government has a defined scope of authority and anything beyond that scope is the is the jurisdiction of the state or the local government or really the individual, the person. Um, and again, that makes sense. But people want to distort the law, distort the idea to fulfill their own misguided goals because state rights doesn't give you the right to violate the rights of others because you can't, even if um, you think your state should have the right to do it. So when we had Jim Crow laws, when we had all of these other disgusting, vile forms of racism where people were essentially given different rights, that should have been flat out called out as unconstitutional right from the start. But it wasn't because we didn't have a common philosophy. We didn't come together to celebrate what makes America truly special, what makes America really great. Um, You know, President Trump talks about wanting to make America great again. Well, what makes America great is the fact that this nation was founded on a moral ideal, something that no other nation up until that time and perhaps not since 
has ever been founded on the basis of a moral position. You know, this is a nation that is founded on self-rule, on individual rights, very powerful ideas of individual liberty, individual freedoms. Um, It's an experiment that is a delicate experiment. And we see in a lot of cases uh, those ideals not only simply not being fulfilled to the degree they should, but in a lot of cases being outright violated. (coughs) Excuse me. But still, they got the ideas right. If if, If we had been implementing those ideas that all men are created equal and that we all have the same rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we never would have had Jim Crow. We never would have had um, these senseless killings. George Floyd would still be alive. Eric Garner would still be alive. Michael Brown would still be alive. And I could probably come up with a list of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that would still be alive or should have lived a longer life had we embraced what truly makes America great is that we all are equal before the law and that we all are essentially sovereign in ourself as individuals. Um, But this whole notion of groups oppressing groups and collectives oppressing collectives is an idea that just won't die. And certain people cling to those terrible ideas and they end up treating people of certain races in these vile, and immoral ways. And it's just it's just wrong. And it's it's so sad that it's not simply just people doing it, but it's the government doing it, the government that's supposed to be the ones that's supposed to protect us, to protect and serve, but they're the ones that violate it. Um Yeah, let's just just talk a little bit about leadership cuz we're never going to get to a point where we can come together as a people and come together with a common philosophy and have a shared set of ideas and ideals unless we have quality leadership. Martin Luther King Jr. did that. We could probably cite a number of other great leaders in our nation's history that have been able to coalesce people, bring people together for a higher purpose, for a higher moral cause. Ideally, this is what we would get from the president of the United States, but instead we get the opposite. Um, President Trump has always played the game of divide and conquer, to divide people, to create chaos and disruption. And then he, he is able to leverage that to, you know, to his own advantage. He's, he's the one that, um, frankly, called out Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick was right when he knelt the first time, and he's still right. He he called it out, and police brutality has been going on, not just since Colin Kaepernick's been going on for a long time, but when Colin Kaepernick knelt during the national anthem, people on the right, our friends on the right, were flabbergasted that he could be kneeling during the presentation of colors during our national anthem, when in fact, Colin Kaepernick was standing up for precisely what America is supposed to be about, equality under the law and securing our individual rights. But instead, our friends on the right who are all about rule of law and patriotism, sometimes to distorted levels, ended up condemning uh, Kaepernick and Trump saw this. And Trump called out Kaepernick in a lot of his rallies to fire up his base to essentially to continue to divide. And it's shameful. And as long as we have that kind of leadership, it's going to make it so much harder to heal and to come together. I mean, in fact, after this whole Minneapolis um, situation, since George Floyd was killed and then we had the um, uh, the protests and then we had you know the, the violence and the looting and everything else, President Trump was calling for looters to be shot. Think about that. He's calling for Americans to be shot on sight. Now, I'm not saying looting is something that 
is should be acceptable. Of course not. I mean, people that loot should be held accountable to before the law. But everyone deserves due process. You don't just kill people without due process. That's what people that did lynching did, is they just strung them up before they ever had a chance to go before a judge or a jury of their peers. Our leadership right now, our president, is using these terrible situations to divide people and to fire up his own base to his own benefit. President Trump, this has always been one of my other uh, concerns with him, um, is that he has no real philosophy that guides him at all other than doing whatever happens to be most expedient for him. There is no set of principles or values or morals that drive him as a political leader. Um, And that's why you see so much inconsistency with him. So often he's on both sides of the issue because he just plays both sides to try to lift himself up. Um, He leverages situations by first dividing people and then using that chaos to lift himself up. Sadly, he's been very effective at it. But we're never going to get to a point where we're going to overcome this racism, the bigotry, the inequality under the law, the police brutality, until we have the right kind of leadership that can bring us together over a common set of ideas, over a common philosophy. In my opinion, if you are talking about making America great again, what you should be doing, what I would be doing if I were president, would be leaning in to our founding values that are expressed in the Declaration of Independence, of equality under the law, all men are created equal, inalienable rights. If, if our leadership did that, then we can heal people, bring people together. But they'd have to do it the smart way because some people have been, are so cynical. They're so jaded. They hear liberty. They hear freedom. And some people, that tweaks them. I have, I have a good friend of mine. He, he's, uh, he's a good friend on the left. And when he hears liberty, he hears freedom. It, it's almost like a trigger word for him because he, he sees all these Trump supporters that are out on the streets with their placards calling for freedom. But at the same time, they want to oppress other people. They want to violate the freedoms of other people. They're the ones that want the war on drugs. They're the ones that want to block Muslims from entering the United States of America. That's what President Trump campaigned on. He remember he got up in front of the stage and he said, I, Donald J. Trump, do hereby declare a total and complete ban on Muslims entering the United States until we can figure out what in the hell is going on. That's like a violation of religious liberty. It's a violation of inalienable rights. But our friends on the right support that. They support violating the liberty of others. They support immigrants being held in cages at our border. They support building walls that that are the whole point of a wall is to is to violate liberty and to restrict movement. Um, so, yeah, when people hear the, these ideas about liberty, I, I understand why people are jaded. So if a president were to lean in on these founding values of America, he'd have to be very articulate in expressing it the right way. I think there's a, there's a very powerful message there, too, that if we all have the right to live our life according to our own values, as long as we don't violate the rights of others, then if we embrace that for what it's meant to be, we wouldn't have this kind of racial division and racial strife. Much of that would be melted away because we would be focused on the individual rather than the group. Because when we focus on the group, then you have white people oppressing black people and police forces oppressing people of color and all these groups going after groups. When in fact, if we support individual rights, then we all exist on the same level playing field. And that's really, in my opinion, that's what a president should be doing is speaking at that level and certainly articulating it far better than I. Um, I have a really good closing quote that I want to get to from Martin Luther King. Um, Before I get to that, 
Um, I just want to say I, I invite your conversation on social media. Please join me there uh, on Facebook, John Riley Project. I also have the special insiders group, the John Riley Project insiders group. You got to answer a few questions and I let everybody in and we have some more interesting conversations there. But um, if you think I'm right, if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm just a, a white guy that doesn't have a clue of what's going on in the world around him, let me know. If you think that it's great as a white guy that I'm standing up for what I think is right, that I'm speaking out, that I'm using my platform for a positive purpose, let me know. Um, if you disagree with some of the ideas I presented, let me know. Let's continue the discussion because that's part of what this podcast is about. It's about having a rational, civil conversation and opportunity to talk these, talk through each of these issues. Um, also, if you could get on um, our mailing list, you can go to johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe to get on our mailing list. And we'll give you some more insight, some interesting tidbits of what we're doing behind the scenes on this podcast project. And I got all kinds of interesting ideas and, and I'd love to share those with you. And that's how you can find out by getting on our mailing list at johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. Okay. Um, my closing quote is from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it's from his I Have a Dream speech. And now some of you might be thinking, okay, here we go. It's another white guy that's going to be talking about that famous line about I have a dream that my children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. Okay, that's a great line, but that's not what I want to focus on. Um, that's an important line, an important idea, but it's not what I want to focus on. So I want to read a little bit of what he said in the I Have a Dream speech and, and share some thoughts. So this is Dr. King. And he said, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, can okay, I diverge here? I think Dr. King thought of men as men and women, as humans. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. So this is this quote is so dead on perfect. Um, Dr. King obviously understands that way American society has been built has been in direct contradiction to our founding values as a nation. He also understands that the founders got the philosophy right, that all men are created equal, and that we all have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He got it. He understood that that idea was right, but that blacks were suffering because they were not enjoying, they were not entitled to those same rights. And it's a shame because we're now 60 years later and a lot of, we've made a little bit of progress, but certainly not enough. So Dr. King goes on to say, and they have come to realize that their freedom, and he speaks about white people, and they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone and as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. So that's great because he understands that people like, like, for example, I'm white. These are, we're talking about blacks being oppressed, blacks being, um, not being given equal rights. As a white person, I can't be quiet about this. I have to stand up because I can't. We can't have equal rights unless we all have equal rights. And so 
Dr. King also said in previous um, speeches that if you are silent, that you don't speak out against this immorality, that you are then complicit and you are empowering the oppressors. And he's right. So blacks cannot walk this uh, path alone. They need the support of everyone because we know if they're going to come after blacks and eventually they're going to come after other groups, that's the way it always plays out in history. So again, Dr. King, just an, a remarkable man. And um, his speeches are just so powerful. Um, he goes on to say, there are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. Yeah, that's what we saw with with um, with George Floyd. That's what we saw with Eric Garner. That's what we saw with Michael Brown. And that's what we've seen in a long, long list of others. Um, police brutality has not just harmed blacks, but has killed blacks, killed by their very own government that is supposed to protect them and serve them and secure their rights. They're being killed by them. Wow. Um, And finally, Dr. King goes on to say, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I can't think of a better quote to close this on. Um, I use that same quote to start the podcast and I'll use that same quote to close the podcast We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This is the John Riley Project. This is episode 136. Boy, this is just one part of the bigger story that has been unfolding here in America over the last few days in the reaction to the murder of George Floyd. I'll have more on this later. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll be back again sometime real soon. See you later, friends. Bye-bye.